So as I alluded to a couple minutes ago, uh, we're going to have a little hearing test that we're going to do together. It works, man. It's simple. These guys heard it last time. And so you need to sit up at the edge of your seat. And what's going to happen is we're going to play some um, frequencies. And all I need you to do is this, is that if you hear the pitch that's being played, I just need you to raise your hand. Okay? It's as simple as that. So we'll start with the pitch or with the frequency that most everyone in this room will probably hear. Last, the last uh, service, pretty much everybody had their hands up in the air. So we're going to hear the pitch. Raise your hand if you hear it. You ready? Here it comes. Got it? Got it? Raise your hand. It's kind of high-pitched, right? Okay, it kind of gets your attention. If you're not awake yet, now you are. Okay, next pitch. Probably most people still hear this one. It's a little bit higher. Got it? Okay. We've got three more. Three more. Next one. This might eliminate some people. Still got it? Okay. Fourth one. Got it? Now this is the deal breaker for a lot of people. This fifth one is the one that kind of, you think you're all good and everything right now, and then this one comes along and you're just kind of like, hey, when are they gonna play it? Okay, you ready for this one? It's the fifth one. Mm-hmm. Exactly, look around the room, keep your hands up if, they, if you can hear it, okay? Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? So, so here's the deal, here's the deal, here's what just happened, okay? There's a, there's, a, there's a thing called presbycusis, okay? And presbycusis, Mr. Ader, Dr. Ader, corrected me, thankfully, after the last service, um, because I said it was the hardening of your eardrums, and it's actually not. This is kind of a little gross, actually. It's the wilting of the hair cells in your ear. That's what presbycusis is. Isn't that kind of gross? Isn't it? I think it's kind of gross. The wilting of your hair cells in your ear is what presbycusis is. And what happens is, is you can't really do anything about presbycusis setting in. It just happens. And what happens, the way it happens is just the older you get, the more your hair cells wilt. Okay? You probably didn't come to church thinking about that, right? Okay? And, and what happens is, is that you actually, the more your hair cells wilt, the more you can't hear certain frequencies which is kind of crazy. Isn't that wild? And you just were evidence to that fact. Okay, I was too. I could, that last one I could hear a few years ago and now I'm an old man and I just can't do it anymore. So I'm fading fast. Now here's, here's what's interesting though. So in England a few years ago, there was actually this mall. And in this mall, um, there were all these teenagers that were hanging out in this mall. And the mall, the store in the mall wasn't necessarily designed for teenagers, and so it was, kind of it was kind of driving the people in the mall crazy because there was all these teenagers that were there, but they weren't buying a thing. And so the mall manager had this crazy idea that, hey, let's broadcast a really high frequency inside of our store because we won't hear it, but they will. Okay, isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? And so, so they actually developed um, this sound called Teen Buzz is what they called it, and they literally just broadcast it in their store, and every time a teenager would come because they want to hang out and not buy anything, it, they would hear the noise and they would roll. They'd get out. They'd get out of there. Okay, now, story's not done. Here's, the, here's my favorite part. My favorite part is the fact that these guys over here are a lot smarter than a lot of people think they are. Okay, because some teenager had this crazy idea. He thought, okay, hold on. They can play this noise, and I can hear it, but the adults can't. 
I've got an idea. And so this teenager schemed up this idea where he actually took that high frequency and he turned it into a ringtone on his phone. And what he did with it was all of his friends downloaded this ringtone onto their phone and they would text during class. And when they would text during class, guess who couldn't hear the text when it would arrive? The teacher. And so all the teenagers were texting the whole time because they maybe didn't know what presbycusis was, but they knew that we can hear it, but our teacher can't. Isn't that wild? Isn't that kind of awesome? Um, and, and so I share that with us because um, presbycusis is a real thing. And, and again, it's, you know, when, when it happens to our ears, we, we can no longer hear the things that we used to be able to hear clearly. And I really think that presbycusis isn't just something that happens to our ears. It's also something, if we're not careful, can happen to our heart. It can happen to our soul. The presbycusis of our soul can set in. That those voices that we once heard, or the voice that we once heard when we were younger, sometimes we don't hear anymore. You know, I love hearing our confirmants share about their love for Jesus. Because that's what we're all about. Like, that's what this place is all about, that you and I would absolutely fall in love with Jesus Christ. And that it wouldn't just be something that we broadcast with our mouth, but it would affect the way we live our life. It would affect everything about who we are. It's almost like if it would affect us in such a way, like our prayer would be that it would affect us in such a way that wherever we go, people are like, hey, what's your deal? There's something different about you. Because they see that it's not just something we broadcast with our mouth, but it's something we actually live out in the way we interact with people. Not just people like us, but all people. And we're going to get to that in just a little bit. And so this morning, um, I just kind of wrote down some thoughts that I would love for us to think about as we, as we um, kind of transition into reading the scripture passage. But I want to share these. And, and I, I hope that they, they connect with you a little bit um, as we think about presbycusis of our heart as we think about um, not letting that become a reality. Because sometimes, the more that life passes us by, the less and less we think that we need to rely on God's word. Sometimes we just go through the motions and we forget about what God has done in our hearts and our lives. Sometimes, as life passes us by, we realize that there's a huge difference between just going to church and actually being the church, right? Like God didn't just create us to go to church, he created us to be the church and not just here at 8801 Nall. Sometimes the older we get and the more life passes us by, we don't recognize the difference between hearing about transformation and really being transformed ourselves. And sometimes as life passes us by, we don't recognize that God is not done with us yet, amen? And so it really doesn't matter what your age is, it doesn't matter what your life has been like, God wants to use all of us in this room to be a beacon of light for him. That presbycusis would never be a part of our heart because we're so excited about Jesus and we can't wait to tell the world about him. Or more importantly, show the world about him. And I'm just thankful that presbycusis never set in with Jesus. So what I'd like us to do is, here at Hillcrest, if you're new, we have a tradition where um, when we read scripture, we actually stand for it. Now, I just need to warn you, this is a long text. And so like, if you're like halfway through and you're like, I'm out, 
That's okay, you can grab a seat, it's okay. No one's gonna think less of you. Um, But the text we're gonna read from, if you have your Bibles, I'd love to encourage you to open up to John chapter four. And I'm gonna read the text for us, but before I read it, I I wanna read to you a really cool quote from a guy by the name of Soren Kierkegaard. Maybe some of you have heard of him before. And the quote is actually gonna be up on the screen behind me. And I want us to actually see this because I think this quote is important for us to really contemplate and think about as we read scripture and as we think about presbycusis sometimes getting a hold of our hearts. Soren says this, the matter is quite simple. The Bible is very easy to understand. We pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute we understand, we are obligated to act accordingly. I'm telling you, when we read this text, I pray that the end result will be that you and I will act accordingly that we will live such a, such a life among people, as scripture says, that don't know God, that though they might accuse us of doing things that are wrong, they will see the way we live our lives and glorify God, that's what scripture says. So may that be true of our lives. So follow along with me as I read, uh, and please stand for the reading of God's word. Now listen to the reading of the word of God. John chapter four, verse one. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than than John. Although in fact, it was not Jesus who 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 baptized, but the disciples. So he left Judea and he went back once more to Galilee. Now Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have five husbands, and the man you are now, now, that you now have is not your husband. What, have you, uh, what you have said, what you, what you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where, where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come 
when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to a, with a woman, but no one asked, what, does he, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and they made their way toward him. Skipping down to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of this woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. This is the word of the Lord. I am a woman of no distinction of little importance. I am a woman of no reputation, save that which is bad. You whisper as I pass by and cast judgmental glances, though you don't really take the time to look at me or even get to know me, for to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known, and otherwise, what's the point in doing either one of them in the first place? I want to be known. I want someone to look at my face and not just see two eyes, a nose, a mouth, and two ears but to see all that I am and could be, all my hopes, loves, and fears. That's too much to hope for, to wish for, or pray for, so I don't, not anymore. Now I keep to myself, and by that I mean the pain that keeps me in my own private jail, the pain that's brought me here at midday to this well. To ask for a drink is no big request, but to ask it of me, a woman unclean, ashamed, used and abused, an outcast, a failure, a disappointment, a sinner. No drink passing from these hands to your lips could ever be refreshing, only condemning, as I'm sure you condemn me now, but you don't. You're a man of no distinction, though of the utmost importance, a man with little reputation, at least so far. You whisper and tell me to my face what all those glances have been about, and you take the time to really look at me, but don't need to get to know me for to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And you know me, you actually know me, all of me and everything about me, every thought inside and hair on top of my head, every hurt stored up, every hope, every dread, my past and my future, all I am and could be. You tell me everything, you tell me about me. And that which is spoken by another would bring hate and condemnation. Coming from you brings love, grace, mercy, hope, and salvation. I've heard of one to come who would save a wretch like me. And here in my presence, you say, I am he. To be known is to be loved. And to be loved is to be known. And I just met you, but I love you. I don't know you, but I want to get to. Let me run back to town. This is way too much for just me. There are others, brothers, sisters, lovers, haters, the good and the bad, sinners and saints, who should hear what you've told me, who should see what you've shown me, who should taste what you gave me, who should feel how you forgave me. For to be known is to be loved. And to be loved is to be known. And they all need this too. We all do need it for our own. Isn't that incredible? Such a good reminder. Such a good reminder. You know, for 2,000 years, Jesus has been amazing people, right? I mean, you're probably here, and we all probably could take turns telling stories about different times in our lives when we were amazed by Jesus. 
by his words, by his miracles, by his life, even by the lives of people that represented him really, really well. And as we look at this story this morning, as we talk about um, what our lives look like when they intersect with scripture, right? Like I love what Soren Kierkegaard says, how that when we read scripture, we can pretend like we, can't, we don't understand it or like it's difficult to understand. But in reality, for a lot of us, when presbycusis of our heart kicks in, we're fearful because now God calls us to do more than just listen to his word. He calls us to be what? Doers of it, right? Like you and I are God's plan A. Like when, when he put us on earth, he didn't just put us on earth to just take up space. He put us on earth because he wants, to represent, wants us to be a representation of what it means to follow him. No matter who we are, no matter where we go. No matter what your age is, no matter what your story is, your past is like. And that's why I love the story of the woman at the well. That's why I think it's such an amazing story because she's an incredible example of someone who certainly did not live the life that God created her to live, at least for part of her life. But when she had an encounter with Jesus, everything changed. And that's the beauty of scripture, right? Isn't that the beauty of scripture? Like when you and I read scripture, like the point is not to just go through the motions. The point is actually that it would get a hold of our lives and that it would change us. The point of reading scripture is not that it would just be something that we feel good about ourselves because we did it, but it's something that we do so that it wraps around everything we are and it affects everything that we are. And that's a lot of times why the beauty of doing things in community, right? When we get to live together in community here and we get to spend time together, we get to encourage each other, to help each other out. But God didn't just create us to live on the corner of 87th and Nall and take up space on a Sunday morning and then come back here and do it all over again. He sends us out, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But I want to, um, this morning, just take a few minutes to talk about four truths that I believe can intersect with every one of our lives. You, me, and anyone else we come in contact with the rest of our life the people you work with, the people that you go to school with, your neighbors, the people you like, the people you don't like. I believe that these truths, these four truths, and there's more than just four in this, in this text, but we're gonna look at four together. I think these four truths preach, and I think these four truths can really speak to our hearts. So the first truth that I'd like for us to consider and to think about and, and, and apply to our life is that it's impossible for God to leave you on your own. We see this in this text so clearly. Here's this woman. She was not a good person. She had five husbands and another person. I mean, it was just like her life was a train wreck, right? There was nothing going great in her life. And Jesus didn't wait for her at church on Sunday morning, did he? Where did he go? He went to her. One of the beauties of scripture, one of the incredible things that you and I can wrap our life around is the fact that the God we worship pursues us, that he loves us, and he will never leave us stranded. Can I get an amen, please? Okay? We are all broken people, every one of us. And we need a savior to rescue us because we can't do it on our own. It's actually impossible. It's only through his power that that can happen. When Jesus invades this woman's life, he does it during just a normal task that she's going through. Do you understand and do I understand the fact that Jesus wants to invade our life in the normal tasks of life? That when you go to work, you don't leave Jesus at home? 
When I come to Hillcrest Covenant Church as a pastor, I don't leave Jesus at home. When you guys go to school, you don't leave Jesus at home. Like Jesus is with us all the time because he wants to be a part of everything that we do. He wants to intersect everything that we do. And just like Jesus showed up in a very normal task that this woman had to do, he's gonna show up in our normal tasks. The question is, are we ready? Are we cool with that? Because he is, and he wants to make a difference. What's amazing about Jesus is that if you're needy, he's there. If you think you got it all together, he's still there to remind you, hey, you know what? I'm the one that's got it all together. You need me. When you're rich, poor, whatever, Jesus is there. I love this quote from Mike Iaconelli. Mike's one of my heroes. Mike had this crazy idea about 40 years ago that churches should start bringing on pastors to take care of their youth. And so he basically created my job. Which, by the way, anyone read Forbes magazine this week? Any Forbes magazine people here? Okay. Yeah, he's got all the conference like, no. Of course he didn't read it. Okay. Okay, I read it. You know what Forbes came out this week? They, they, they came out and, and they were ranking like the most satisfying jobs in America. You know what was number one? I got it. I got it. In Forbes magazine, being a youth pastor was rated the most satisfying job in America. Now, you see why? You guys get it, right? You get it. You get, when you see the video and when you get to live life with these guys, it makes sense, okay? But here's what Mike Iaconelli says. He says, the power of the church is not a parade of flawless people, but of a flawless Christ who embraces our flaws. Let me read that one more time. Listen to these words. The power, of, the power of the church is not a parade of flawless people, but of a flawless Christ who embraces our flaws. Amen for that, right? I mean, think about it. Like, think about how our life would look like if this wasn't true. If Jesus left us stranded, we would be so messed up. And then he goes on to say, he says, the church is not made up of whole people, rather of broken people who find wholeness in a Christ who is broken for us. Our wholeness comes from him, not from anything that we can do on our own. So the first truth for us to think about, to process, to live out in our life is that it's impossible for God to leave us stranded. And I would also add that it's not only important for us to think about, but this is a message that we need to take to other people. I can't tell you, if I ever write another book, I'm gonna title it, God's Not Like That. Okay, you know why? Because I can't tell you how many times I have to look at my friends and say, oh my gosh, I am so sorry. You really think Jesus is like that? He is not like that. And you know how easy it is? Because all you got to do is open up this text and say, let me give you a picture of what he's really like. I actually got to do this on Monday at Alpha. On Monday at Alpha, I'm in a small group with a bunch of guys I play basketball with at Lifetime Fitness. And we get to hang out three times a week and play basketball together. And we're now in an Alpha small group together. And one of the common things that everybody talked about on Monday was they saw a side of Jesus that they'd never seen before. As the people that you and I are surrounded with, the friends and the families, our coworkers, our neighbors, a lot of them have this wrong idea who Jesus is. And oftentimes the best thing we can do is help them see a clear picture of who Jesus really is. Because I've never met someone that's seen Jesus for who he really is and have said, oh man, I don't like that. And a lot of people go, oh wow, I didn't realize he's like that. Yeah, I, I, I like that, I want that. I want that in my life. It's pretty amazing. So the first truth 
is that it's impossible for God to leave us stranded. Praise be to God. The second truth for us this morning is to embrace the reality that it's impossible for God to want your worst. I think a lot of times, because of the decisions we make, and this woman in this story certainly probably thought that, is that oftentimes we look at our past and we think, man, how could God ever want that? And the reality is, is that he wants us to trust him with those broken parts of our life, but he doesn't want us to be defined by our worst. He wants us to be defined by his best. Jesus had something for this woman that she couldn't get on her own. She could not do it. In verse 13, it says, Jesus replied, people soon become thirsty again after drinking this water. But the water I give them takes away their thirst altogether. It becomes a perpetual spring within them, giving them eternal life. Jesus wants nothing but the best, and he does not want the worst for us. The emptiness in in this woman's life could not be filled by physical water, right? The emptiness in your life and my life, it can't be filled by physical things. I remember in in, um, in 10th grade when I was in basketball, uh, my coach, he had this formula. And it it sounded so nerdy when he said it. It was called temporary pleasure equals delayed massive displeasure. Okay, I was in basketball going, what did he just say? I thought we are playing a hoop. He's like, temporary pleasure is going to lead to delayed massive displeasure. Like there's a lot of things that we do in life that are temporary pleasures, that the end result of that is going to be disappointment. Jesus is saying, the emptiness in your life, like you can drink this water from this well, but you're going to be thirsty again. You and I can live our lives however we want to live, but it's not going to fill the part of our life that needs to be filled that only Jesus can fill, right? The emptiness in our life needs to be filled by only him who can do that. You see, when Jesus invades our lives, He takes away the misguided thirst quenchers and he replaces them with his peace. Let me say that again. When Jesus invades our life, he takes away the misguided thirst quenchers, those temporary pleasures, those just that drink of water that we think is gonna satisfy us and he replaces them with his peace because he wants the best for us, not the worst. Last week I was down in Nicaragua and I had the opportunity to... um, uh, go with some Hillcrest people. Eight of us went down there, and we met some missionaries down there um, that we are hoping to partner with in the future for future missions trips. And one of the missionaries' name is his name is Asayud. 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 I, I always I always say Asayud, and it's it's really Asayud. But Asayud just is an incredible guy. And when we were down there, Asayud grew up in the town we were in in Nicaragua. It's called San Juan del Sur, and San Juan del Sur is a, is a surfing community. And in this community, Esaud was like one of the top surfers. He was sponsored by Billabong. He was the man. He had posters made of him. Everybody knew who he was in town. And he was living the life. He was very successful at what he did. And every single night, he would go out and he would party. And he would stay out till 3 to 5 o'clock in the morning every single night. And one of the nights when Esaud went home, when he, got, when he walked in the door early in the morning, his mom was on the floor crying. And his mom is like his hero. And, and Esayud just said to his mom, Mom, what is so wrong? Why are you crying? And she just looked at him and he said, Esayud, you are not living the life that God has created you to live. You are not living the life that God has created you to live. And at that moment, Esayud realized, I need to stop. 
And it wasn't so much about just behavior modification. It was, it was no, I, 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 he realized at that moment, it was like God spoke into his heart and just like Jesus spoke to this woman and realized, man, something needs to change because God doesn't want the worst for my life. He wants the best. And Esaiud at that moment gave his life to Jesus right there with his mom right there. And last week, last Friday, um, myself and, and, and a few others, we actually got the chance to hang out with Esaiud. Because after God um, called Esaiud to him, and Esaiud trusted Jesus with his life, Esaiud realized that there's a real problem in San Juan del Sur. And the problem is this, is that I'm a surfer, but he didn't know any other surfers. And he really felt like God wanted to use his surfing to be an avenue for him to tell people about Jesus. And so Esaiud started this ministry called Christian Surfers. And we actually got to hang out with them last Friday, and, and, and they, taught us, they taught us how to surf. And there's now 40 guys that are a part of Christian surfers because SIU took this message of hope that only Jesus can bring. And in this message that Jesus doesn't want your worst, he, want, he, can, he can give you the best. And he took it to these guys, and, and, and you see a picture with us with a bunch of the Christian surfer guys that, whose lives have been utterly changed because of the power of the gospel working in their life. Just like this woman's life has changed, Esau's life has changed, and many of us in this room, our life has changed. Two other quick truths for us to embrace. The third truth is this, is that it's impossible for God to not want a relationship with you. Now think about that for a second. It's impossible for God to not want a relationship with you. And it's true for you, and it's true for every human being. You and I will see the rest of our lives. Why? We've said it already. God wants a relationship with us. He created us for that relationship. You know, um, in um, verses 28 through 30, it says, the woman left her water jar beside the well and went back to the village and told everyone, come and meet a man who told me everything that I did. Can this be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see who? To see Jesus. God wants a relationship with you. Doesn't matter about your past, it doesn't matter about those kind of things that doesn't stop him from pursuing you and wanting a relationship with you. And, and, and not only does he want that relationship with us, but he wants it with other people. I did find it interesting that um, after she did all this, um, when, when Jesus is having this interaction with her and she's like, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. It's like, duh. I mean, if I was writing the Bible, I'd probably put duh there, but it, it's not there, so we'll just leave it alone. But then right, at, right after um, she says that, it's, she says this, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim that it is here on Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship? You know what she did right there? You know what's so interesting? Jesus is kind of, he's kind of pushing the envelope with her a little bit and she almost changes the subject. And she turns the subject around and instead of focusing in on a relationship, she all of a sudden makes this conversation about religion. You know, there's so many people that think that. They think that like church is just about being religious. Jesus didn't create us to be religious. He created us to be in a relationship with him. Okay, religion isn't gonna change anything. Religion's a bunch of rules and she starts going after the rules and Jesus quickly turns it back and he's like, no, 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 no. Oh, sweetheart, you don't get it. You don't get it. It is not about a bunch of rules and if you do these rules, then I'm gonna like you. It's about a relationship with me that will change everything. What's amazing about Jesus is he didn't really focus much on her, on her sins. He didn't point the finger at her or anything like that. 
He just showed her who he was. And that was enough, right? Like she saw who Jesus really was. He didn't shame her. He didn't call her a bunch of names. He didn't need to because he knew that his love was so great. Truth number three, it's impossible for God to not want a relationship with you and with everyone we come in contact with the rest of our life. And the last thought is this, and the last truth, is that, it, that, that it's impossible for God to not send us out. So when we say yes to Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, okay, hey, so I kind of think it'd be cool since I was really nice to you that you go tell other people about me, if you feel like it. He didn't say that. Nah. He said go. He said go. It's not like it's this negotiable thing. Like God says, no, no, you said yes to me. Now part of that commitment is now you go to the places where I am calling you to go. Four out of five people in 66207 have no connection, zero connection to a place like Hillcrest. Business people, those of you who are in business, okay, if you knew that 80% of your business wasn't cutting the mustard, you'd say there's a problem, right? Right? Like if you knew, if you knew that 80% of your business wasn't going the way you were kind of hoping it to go, you would call everyone in and you'd say, man, we got to figure this thing out because we got a problem. Well, I don't know if I, I want to say that we got a problem, but I want to say we got a solution, right? Like we got a solution and his name is Jesus and he, and, and he says, I want to be a vessel through you to the four to five right here and to the rest of the world because this is part of the deal. You say yes to me, you are plan A and we're gonna go do this together. It is a beautiful thing. Your job isn't to convert all of Prairie Village. Your job is to point Prairie Village to Jesus and let Jesus do the converting. Your job is to take a risk, to step out of your comfort zone and listen to his voice. Our job is to take that risk and trust Jesus' voice. So let me ask you the question, are you up for it? Are you and I up for that? And it's one thing for us to say, yeah, I'm cool with that. But that, that doesn't get us anywhere. What gets us somewhere is that when we trust God to do the impossible, when we trust God to step in and to work through us so the people don't give you the credit or me the credit, they give him the credit. And we see the baptisms, we hear the stories, and, and, and this place is flooded with people that don't look anything like us because they've heard about Jesus and they want to know more. It's way too easy for you and I. I think we're really guilty of this, to get in our little huddles and, and, and to, to kind of just stay right here when God is saying, no, man, bust down the walls. Bust down the walls. Those people you don't like, yeah, yeah. Guess what? I love them as much as you. Those people that you think there's no way in the world God could ever use them, yeah, love them too. I love them too. And I want to speak through you and point people to a relationship with me. Let me give an example as we close. Can I get someone to help me? Doesn't matter who. Okay, come on. This is Caden. Caden's the man. There you go, Caden. Why don't you take that guy and walk it down the aisle? Okay. Oh, hold on. Hold on just a second. Okay. So, so let's pretend this extension cord, go Caden all the way to the end. Let's pretend this extension cord is our life. 
Okay, so this, this extension cord is your life and my life. Keep going. It's a pretty long extension cord. Perfect, awesome. Okay, so this extension cord is our life. And the plug at the end of the extension cord is our life here on earth. Okay, so right here. This is our life here on earth. The rest of this extension cord represents our life after we die. We're eternal beings, right? Like we're all gonna live for the rest of our life. It's just a matter of where we're gonna live. Okay? What are you plugging your life into? Where are you looking for life right now? Where am I looking for life? Because we're plugging our life into something. There's something that we're taking our life and we're investing our life in. And you know what the Bible says? Is that what we do with this little part right here makes all the difference for the rest of this right here. So life here, the rest for eternity, is determined what we do with this little part right here. Does that make sense? In The Purpose Driven Life, it's a great book, Rick Warren says, your relationship with God on earth, right here, will determine your relationship with God when you die. My prayer for this church, my prayer for these confirmants, my prayer for all of our lives, is that we would invest everything, that we would sell it all for this. Because guess what we get to look forward to? This relationship with Jesus that goes on forever and ever and ever that will change everything. Man, I'm praying for my friends. I'm praying for your friends. I'm praying for our coworkers, anyone and everybody. Like I pray that God would break out revival in this place and that we'd see a bunch of people like the woman at the well who see Jesus in a way that they've never seen him before and it affects everything. I can't wait someday to be in heaven and to meet her. That's gonna be kind of a cool conversation, right? You know? And I can't wait for all of us to, 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 to be together, but not just this group. I pray that God would use each of and every one of us to be his beacon of light so that he might get the glory and the honor. What did she do after she, after, after she saw Jesus for who he was? She left Jesus and she told all her friends and they begged Jesus to stay and he stayed for two more days and all these people gave their life to the Lord. It happened 2,000 years ago, and guess what? It could happen here too, right? Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your love and your care for us. God, I pray, Father, that you would just continue to just blow us away with who you are. Lord, you, you gave it all for us. And God, we pray that, that there would be woman at the well stories told here at Hillcrest. God, that, that there would be um, broken people that, that would realize their brokenness and find you. God, we're all broken. So God, I pray that you would send us out. God, that this would not be the kind of service that we do like the woman did in the story where she kind of wanted to bring it back to religion. Lord, this is not about religion. This is about you. This is about a relationship with you that changes everything. God, use us in our workplaces. Use us in our schools. Use us on our teams. Use us in the grocery line. Lord, use us wherever you put us, God, because we want to be your vessels. We don't want to just be people that talk about it, God. We want to actually go do it, not in our own strength, but only in the strength you give. God, we pray this all in your name. Amen.